She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. The Next Files Podcast. Season 2. Episode 5. Dwayne Barry. In this episode, Mulder is called in to assist in a hostage negotiation because the perp claims to be an alien abductee. While Mulder tries to talk him into releasing the hostages, Scully does research into his past to figure out who the suspect really is and what his motivations might be. I can't not snicker when you say perp. I'm sorry. But I'm going to say his motivations might be alien. It definitely sounds like aliens are involved. Mm Mm-hmm. This episode was written by Chris Carter, and it was directed by Chris Carter. Yes, his directorial debut. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I said debut, funny on purpose, by the way, just so people know. (laughs) It was filmed at several locations in Vancouver, British Columbia, including the University of British Columbia, which is in Vancouver. So now we know, and known as half the battle. It apparently also has a super huge, super sweet indoor pool. Yeah. His original air date was Friday, October 14th, 1994. And it had a viewership of 13.9 million in the United States, which is up half a million from last episode. But that still makes it the second lowest episode so far of season two, though it'll eventually be the fourth lowest of season two, which does mean that ratings go up at least. So there's that. Nice. This is also a myth arc episode. It is the second myth arc episode of the season and the seventh overall so far. Though Nick and I both agree that Conduit should be a myth arc episode, even though it isn't yep. officially. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Uh, so that would make this the eighth myth arc episode. And Conduit is myth arc in our hearts. Yes, it is. So we are in Pulaski, Virginia. It is June 3rd. And it is 1985. It's a nice starry night. And we pan down and we see a nice little house. And inside the camera's going around and there's a dog dish. The dog runs over and gets some food. Fortunately, in this episode, there's no like dead bodies laying around while the dog goes to get some food. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. And then we see that like some of the walls are gutted and there's like plastic sheeting over them. So it looks like maybe that like the house is maybe under renovation or something. And then in one room, there's a man sleeping with a television on. And we've kind of heard the TV as we've been going through the house. There's like a Western or something on, it sounds like. And so the dog lays down next to him, lays on the bed, going to go to sleep. And then the TV turns to static. And then from outside the house, we see there's some shadowy figures. And it looks like they might have gray skin and big round heads. And the dog whimpers and he jumps off the bed. It might be aliens anyway the man wakes up suddenly and he's like i can't breathe i can't breathe and then we we also see that he has like a big like frankenstein scar down his forehead like from his hairline all the way down to his eyebrow on one side and a bright light illuminates the room and then alien silhouette appear behind the plastic sheeting on both sides of the room and there's like easily like eight or nine aliens and they're all doing like the zombie hand thing on the plastic sheeting kind of thing Mm -hmm. and the man's like no no not again And he screams. And then we see from above that eight of the aliens have surrounded his bed. 
and because they like figured out how to get past the plastic sheeting, I guess. And then the dog, who was like, nope, and had ran outside. We see him outside, and he's barking at the house, and we see the house is totally like just glowing with this light from out all the windows and everything. And there's a beam, and we pan up, and there's a UFO above, and it's just shining a bright light down onto and apparently into the house. And then theme song. So it would seem that it would be aliens actually not might be it actually is aliens yeah it is yeah. and they're creepy <laughs> yeah and there's a lot of them yeah that's you yeah. that's a lot of aliens yeah yeah whole crowd the whole crew just beamed down well i mean if you're gonna come all the way to earth like get some boots on the ground i guess right yeah. you know call your alien buddies let's go yeah <laughs> get a carpool yeah. long, it's a long distance Gotta it is fuel. yeah exactly yeah. So then we're at Davis Correctional Treatment Center in Marion, Virginia, and it's present day, which is 1994, I think. Mm-hmm. And an officer walks the man we saw from 1985 in handcuffs down the hall and into an office. And there's a doctor in the office. He has a nameplate. This is Dr. Hackey. So we know his name. And he gets up and he greets the man. And the man's name is Dwayne. And he tells him to have a seat and he wants to go over a few things. And Dr. Hackey says his notes indicate Dwayne hasn't been taking his medication. And Dwayne says he doesn't like how they make him feel. And Hacky's like, well, you know, you need to take your meds for a reason. It's so you won't hurt anyone again. And Dwayne says, you know, I'm not crazy. They're coming again. I can feel it. And he starts to rock and he's really agitated. And he says no one can stop them. So Dr. Hacky says he's going to give him a shot because Dwayne just needs some rest. And so the doctor gets up and he turns his back to kind of prepare the shot And Dwayne sees he's left his pen within reach. And it's a really nice pen, like the kind you would dip maybe in an inkwell, or at least it looks that way. It's a fountain pen, so it's got a spike on the end. Yeah, it's sharp. It's sharp is the point. Mm -hmm. And so Hacky turns around, and Dwayne has run out the door. And in the hallway, Dwayne attacks a guard with the pen and takes his gun. And so Hacky comes out, and he tells him, like, put the gun down, put the gun down. And Dwayne tells Hacky to give him the keys, I guess, to get out the door or whatever, maybe to his car. I'm not really clear what keys he wants, but he wants keys. And then the alarm goes off. And so Dwayne kind of, like, lunges forward and grabs Hacky and takes him hostage. And he's like, never mind, we're going to get out of here together. Yeah, because he's 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 got his hands are zip tied together actually in front of him is what they are. They're okay. Yeah. They're not handcuffed. Yeah, not handcuffed. Well, I mean, they are kind of handcuffed. I mean, they serve the same purpose, right? <laughs> yes. So yeah, so like when he has the gun, he's obviously got two hands on the gun, and then like he like whacks Doctor Hackey with it, and then kind of like is kind of like holding him like that kind of thing with his you know arm. like against him, yeah, yeah, with the gun. I, yeah, I do feel obligated to note that Dwayne Barry often refers to himself in the third person and as Dwayne Barry when he's talking. So like he's like they're coming for him. And they're going to take Dwayne Barry. So he refers to himself both as him and then also in his full name a lot of the time. So although he kind of flips back and forth, but he for does, the most yeah. part, he does use refer to himself in third person. Yeah. So then we're in Washington, D.C. and it's August 7th, 1994. And Alex Krychek is standing overlooking a lap pool. And then he kind of goes down to the pool and we see Mulder is swimming. And so Krychek stands at the edge of the pool. And when Mulder comes up at the edge, Krychek tells him there's a situation going down and they want Mulder there right away. It's a hostage negotiation. And Mulder's like, why do they want me? That's not really my thing. And Krychek says the suspect has four people trapped in an office building at gunpoint. And he claims he's being controlled by aliens. Yeah. It's not in our notes, but should we mention the little fan service in this? I mean, we can mention. I mean, you know, Mulder's got wet hair and he's wearing, you know, he's wearing his 
Is it a Speedo? It looks like a Speedo. I don't know that it's officially a Speedo because Speedo's brand name, but it is basically like a very small and you can see a little molder bulge when he gets out and everything. It's like a banana hammock. Apparently the female fans were very happy about this, according to David Duchovny. So he would say that, right? So who knows? (laughs) David Duchovny is a reliable source on who's impressed (laughs) by his body. (laughs) No, but I'm sure. I'm sure he's a good looking guy, right? Like I'm sure people were very excited about that. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure why they felt the need to say present day in the last scene when then they're going to tell us what the actual date is in this scene and in the next scene. You know, I don't understand why they had to do that. Yeah. Like, why did they just use the date? It was a little weird because they do say present day and then they give us the date twice. So we never really know. It's still like within like almost like is that scene even like a minute? No, it's very short. It's very short. Yeah. So we go from present day to it's now August 7th, 1994. And it's like, it's the same day. Yeah. I guess they wanted us to know it was the same day, but it would have been better if they just gave like a timestamp or something. Maybe they know. assumed that people wouldn't see, couldn't do the math of 1985, 1984. I don't know. But yeah. Anyway, so then we're in downtown Richmond, Virginia. And again, it's still August 7th, 1994. Yeah, I do have to say, just because this is how I am. So Marion, Virginia, which is real, is about 270 miles away from Richmond, Virginia, which is the state capital. And Pulaski is also real. And it's about 50 miles from Marion and 220 miles from Richmond. And it's actually like on the way if you're traveling from Marion to Richmond. So, okay. Because we're going to find out that they left the facility in Marion and went to Richmond. So they went 270 miles. So then we get to this office building and there, it's like an, you know, an office. I want to say park. office park. Is yeah. that the right word? Office park? That's close enough. Yeah. yeah. So there's basically a, a ton of different businesses in this one space. And so there's cop cars and a barricade surrounding the building. And we see a sniper on the roof next door. And Krychek and Mulder arrive and are just pretty much immediately directed inside where they meet Agent Lucy Kasdan. And she's a hostage negotiator. Mm-hmm. And she tells them the purpose named mm-hmm. Dwayne Barry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It's just, I don't know. There's just something about, it's just perp. The perp. The perp. Know, but, I don't know, because yeah. I'm not a hardened grizzly cop from maybe. the noir yeah. age, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so Dwayne Barry is armed with a nine millimeter with one magazine, and it's their belief that he's prepared to use it, and he's not afraid to die. What he wants, or as far as he's told them, is safe passage for him and Dr. Hackey to an alien abduction site but he doesn't actually know where the alien abduction site is. Cause presumably it's not the one we saw in the house. It's like the first time they took him. Right. So we, he doesn't remember where that is. So he actually stopped off at a travel agency, which is where he took the employees of the travel agency hostage along with Dr. Hackey. Cause they have like alien abduction plans that you can just buy at the travel agency. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I don't, I guess maybe he was going to look <laughs> at a map try and figure out where he was. I don't maybe. know. I don't know. Yeah. So he's lucid, but he's off his meds and manic, ranting about aliens, and that's where Mulder comes in. And Mulder's like, I've never been part of a hostage negotiation before. And Kasdan says she and Agent Rich are going to coach him through it. Rich says what Mr. Barry needs is a friend who can understand him and appeal to his sense of reason. Mulder asks if they know anything about his alien abduction experience. And Kasdan asks Mulder if he really believes in this stuff. And Mulder like is just like, yeah, is that I mean doesn't say yeah, but he's like, is that a problem? And Kasdan says he'll start immediately. She doesn't really answer when he says, Is that a problem? She's like, just like, okay, you're gonna start immediately and we'll reevaluate the situation every three hours. And then off to the side, Mulder tells Kasdan that if Dwayne really is an alien abductee, he needs to know more about him and his personal history because each abduction case is different. 
And Kazan says they don't have that information. And Mulder's like, well, why haven't you called the hospital and gotten his records? And Kazan basically levels with Mulder at this point. She's like, I believe this guy is just like a quote unquote psycho. Our job is just to save the hostages. The longer you can keep this guy on the phone, the longer we'll have before he kills anybody. And so she basically says, whatever crap you got to make up about spacemen or UFOs, just keep him on the phone. That's your job. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So we're inside the travel agency and one of the hostages who we'll learn later is named Bob. He's like, do we have to sit on the floor all night? And Dwayne just, bam, hits him across the head with the gun, like knocks his glasses off. And there's also two women, one who is named Gwen and another who's named Kimberly. And they're like, oh, and she's like, we all have families. And so Dr. Hackey is like, he implores Dwayne not to hurt anybody. And Dwayne grabs him by the collar and he's like, this time you're going with Dwayne Barry so you can see what it's like, that it's real. And then the phone rings. Yeah. So, yes, very intense. Yeah. And like when Bob's like, do we have to sit on the floor all night? Like, I get that fear can make you react in weird ways, but it's just such a weird thing. Because like, I mean, I wouldn't want to sit on the floor all night either, but I probably wouldn't bug the guy with the gun about it. No, And the way he said it, too, <laughs> was total like, do we have to sit on the floor all night? And it's like well, you can lay on the floor when I hit you with this gun if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I think they just wanted to get Dwayne worked up so they had to have him say something. That's not what I would have gone with. I would have gone with like, I need to use the bathroom or something more like that you would actually say to your Yeah, but I do think they did good because you can tell the guy said it in like a I don't, snarky is probably not the right word but like he was he was copping some a little bit of attitude he was he said yeah. it. and so that's why you get hit right so it, it makes it not so much like he's just lashing out at people just for like asking simple questions like my back hurts do we have to sit on the floor and then you get hit in the face like that would be different right. than like if you're like kind of copping an attitude so yeah so then we see the makeshift negotiation room and there's a chalkboard that reads honesty conciliation containment resolution and these are basically, I guess, the standards of negotiation. These words are also highlighted on top of a notepad that Mulder has in front of him. And he's speaking on the phone to Dwayne. And he tells Dwayne that he wants to help. He thinks he knows what he's going through. And he basically wants to get Dwayne what he needs. And he wants to be sure that Bob, Kimberly, Gwen, and Dr. Hackey don't get hurt. And as he says the names, like an agent like points to them on the chalkboard. It's like Bob, Kimberly, Gwen, and Dr. So, you know, they're kind of helping Mulder through this. Yeah, and I also think it's probably one of those ways that you're, you're trying to make sure that everyone is personalized, that they are, they are a person and yes. not an object to show like they're important kind of thing. So, yeah, they are people. They have names. We want yeah, them they have to lives, be okay. We want them to be. Yeah. So Dwayne yells that he has no idea what he's going through. And Mulder's like, we're only concerned about your safety. But then like Dwayne gets up and like through the blinds, he can actually see into the negotiation room across the way. So through the blinds, he can see Mulder. Mm. And Mulder tells him he knows people who've been through similar experiences. And Dwayne basically is like, he's telling him like, oh, I know what you're doing. And so he says, honesty, conciliation, containment. And what's the last one? And, you know. So he's basically letting Mulder know he knows the script. He knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne's like, if you guys do anything stupid, the hostages are going to die. And he hangs up. Yeah. yeah. I am going to go out on a limb and say it's not a super good idea to like, set up your negotiation room where the guy you're trying to talk down has a clear shot at the person talking to him on the phone. Yeah. Because he totally could have shot Mulder right then and there. If I he wanted know. To. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Mulder asked Kasdan if this guy's FBI because he kind of knew the list. And so that gives Mulder a clue that maybe he knows more about what's going on. And Kasdan says he's former FBI. He left the Bureau in 1982 and he's been institutionalized on and off for over a decade. And Mulder gets angry and he says like, the Bureau just wants to minimize their own embarrassment. And he's mad that he wasn't told that this guy's former FBI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rich basically says negotiation is a process. It takes a long time. And so, you know, they just have to kind of work through it. And Mulder says if they wanted someone to read a script, they could have brought in anybody. And then he talks a little bit about what alien abductees go through, having invasive procedures while being awake the whole time. And he basically asks Kazdan if she wants to know what aliens do to women's ovaries. And she's like, no, thanks. And he basically is like, you might need to alter your approach here and walks away. And then Krychek comes up and he's like, hey, is there anything I can do? Because he's, you know, ever eager. And so Kazan's like, do you have a notepad? And he pulls out a notepad and gets all, you know, excited. And she starts giving him a coffee order. (laughs) Yeah. It was so great. I love her so much. I think she's awesome. Yeah. And this goes back to what we talked about last episode, where they ruined it by showing Krychek as a mole. Because this scene would be even better if we thought Krychek was still that super eager kind of newbie agent right and not right. someone like if we just were like Krychek is just there he's like trying to do his job but we know that he's not right and so that again they ruined it last episode just, yeah it's yeah. too bad I did like the scene though that. but yeah no it was it was a good scene but I think I think they kneecapped themselves a little bit by doing that last episode mm-hmm. especially because in this episode there's no reason we need to, we needed to know that Right. We don't need to know that he's... Nope. And I don't know if in future him. episodes we're going to need to know, like, how at what point... Like I, like I talked about, I don't know at what point we need to know that he was a mole, but right now we don't. Mm-hmm. And so they, they ruined it by doing that, in my opinion. But... Fine. <laughs> so Scully is watching TV. She's at her house, I'm assuming. And Mulder, apparently when Mulder walked away, he decided to call Scully. Because he loves her. <laughs> and he tells her that he's in Virginia. And she's like, I know. I've been watching it on TV. So I'm not sure where, like, he's in Virginia. She automatically knows that he's working the case. I'm not sure. Or maybe, I don't know. Maybe she saw him walk into the building. Like, yeah, or maybe the food. gossip on the FBI, you know. Yeah. Whatever. So Mulder asks what the media saying, because obviously he's inside. So what are they saying on the outside, right? And so she's like that there's a mental patient and is holding people hostage in a travel agency. And then what they're not saying, Mulder's telling her, what they're not saying is that this guy is former FBI and he claims to be an alien abductee. So he gives her Dwayne Barry's name and says, can you find out whatever you can about him? And so then while they're talking, the power in the room goes out. And so they stop talking, right? Because it's not that the power like cuts the call because he's on his cell phone. And so, but, and apparently if I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I had a landline. I think if your power goes out, I guess it probably depends on how your house is wired. If your power goes out, your phone usually still works. Yeah, it depends on. Yeah. yeah, it depends on what's, what's going, what the problem was. But for most part, I remember back in the day when the power would go out, your phone would usually still work. So, But the power goes out in the negotiation room. So it's probably like, okay, got to go. There's something going on here. And then we see from outside that like the lights are going out like floor by floor and all the surrounding buildings like, choom, choom and then even the water fountain in the courtyard like stops running and then in the travel agency Dwayne of course freaks out because all the power has been cut right so everything goes dark and then everyone goes out to see what's going on and this super bright light shines from outside ah! and of course we assume that Dwayne is seeing the same thing and so they hear gunfire and everyone like oh they get down and then they get back up and they hear another gunfire and then we see Dwayne inside and he's like choom choom just shooting the gun so like 
Might be aliens coming to get Dwayne. We don't know because <laughs> then we're going to go to commercial. Oh, no. Yeah. Terrible timing. So then we get back from commercial and like in the negotiation room, there's an agent on the phone. I don't know who he's talking to, but he basically says four or five shots were fired and Mulder takes out his cell phone and Kasdan says that an electric substation has gone down. So there's no power anywhere on the block. And Mulder calls Dwayne and Dwayne says, see, you didn't believe me. And Mulder says, I believe you. I believe you. I just need to know if anyone's been shot. And then we see like Bob is bleeding and Gwen is like, he might bleed to death. So Dwayne says, well, I guess we need a doctor. Yeah. And Bob is bleeding. Like Bob got like shot in the heart, apparently. Is it? Like, the oh, blood is, like, I thought it was like, like coming out of his shirt pocket, like, oh, all, like dripping down. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say that maybe Bob tried something in the dark because he's probably a troublemaker. Although, honestly, like I am Bob, I would probably totally get myself killed in a hostage situation by trying to be like a, a hero. Right. So I get it. Right. But yeah. But I bet he probably tried something in the dark and he got shot. Probably. Or even just like in the dark, he tried to run while Dwayne was just like randomly shooting because he was, was randomly firing the gun and just yeah. got hit. Yeah. Although he's sitting like in the exact same spot that he was sitting before. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. So then we see like obviously a little time has passed and Mulder is dressed as an EMT and there's a man putting an earpiece in Mulder's ear and they put like a microphone on his collar, like a really small one. And basically warns him that, like, the earpiece might block his hearing a little, which could affect his balance, especially if he gets into an altercation. And they warn him about feedback on the earpiece and the wire if he, like, puts a telephone to his ear. So basically he needs to be careful and make sure the devices stay concealed. And then Kazdan warns him not to risk his own life. He's going to be going in with a different agent who's a real EMT. And the goal is medical help. So anything else they get is a bonus. And she warns Mulder not to jump into Dwayne's delusion and introduces him to Agent Janice, who's the trained medic. And so while Janice works on the hostage who's injured, Mulder's job is just to keep Dwayne talking. And then Rich mentions that they have three snipers. And if Mulder can get Dwayne to the front door, they can like take him out. So again, Mulder is not supposed to risk his life or do anything crazy, but he's going to be there to do what he can while Janice works on the hostage. Yep. And we do also get now our first clue that, like, they're willing to just, like, they're going to kill Dwayne if they can. Oh, yeah. They're going to yeah. take him out. Because it's not like, you know, we'll incapacitate him. We've got snipers. We'll shoot him in, like, you know, Roger Murtaugh. I'm going to shoot him in the leg. No, right. they're going to, like, take him out, basically. Mm-hmm. So I did. This scene was weird because, like, the lighting in this scene is, like, very, like, ethereal. And they're, like, they're basically putting an implant into Mulder's head head it's almost like an alien <laughs> abduction scene because Mulder is like very rigid and standing there whether and then they're talking to him there's people all around him and then there's like these big forceps and they're putting like the silvery device in his ear so yeah might be aliens mm-hmm. <laughs> also isn't Dwayne Barry gonna recognize Mulder's voice and realize he's not really an EMT I mean maybe again I mean, he I was talking to people... him on the phone some people recognize voices better than others I mean I think sometimes when you're writing scripts you don't think about that stuff because you're not hearing it and maybe mm-hmm. when you hear it, you're like, you hear Mulder's voice talking like, oh, yeah, he knows this person's voice. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't seem to notice. So at least not at first. Well, and also he automatically assumes they're both FBI when they come in. Right. Yeah, out. that's true. So, so. Yeah. so Mulder and Janice knock on the travel agency door and Dwayne has Kimberly go open it to let them in. Smart. And then Dwayne- smart. Yeah, that is smart. Yeah. yeah. He knows. He knows. He knows. He knows the FBI playbook. Yeah. 
So then he holds a gun on them, pats them down. And that's, you know, obviously he's looking for a big wire. So that's why Mulder has the, like the micro one. Mm-hmm. And Mulder tells him there's no gun in the kit because he asks if there's a gun in the EMT kit. And he lies that he, about wearing a wire. And he says, we just want to help the injured man and make sure no one else gets hurt. So Dwayne lets him go over to Bob, who's still lying on the, who's been like, he's lying on the floor now and Gwen's next to him. And so while Janice attends to him, Mulder talks and he tells Dwayne that he needs to work with them. And then Mulder suggests he lets the women go. And Mulder asks if the aliens were here, if that's what that light was. But like Dwayne doesn't believe that Mulder believes him. He thinks that it's all just bull, right? Mm-hmm. And Mulder's like, we lost time. I checked my watch. Isn't that what happens? And Dwayne like flashes back to being in bed screaming with bright lights strobing overhead and the alien figures like behind the plastic sheeting. Yeah. Which I gotta say, the strobe lights were a little too much for me. Like I had to like kind of cover my face and it was giving me a headache. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. They they did go on for a pretty <laughs> long time, I will say. And I watched this in the dark, so it was even more. I don't know if you did or not, but I watched this in the dark. <laughs> But it was a really well done scene. The aliens are much more effective when they're behind the plastic because you can kind of not explicitly see that they're just mm-hmm. like kids in costumes. So, but yeah, I did like Mulder's like we lost time. No one else mentions that, but I wonder like it's nighttime. Maybe it, uh, well, we know it's not because it's August, so it wouldn't be daylight savings time that they lost an hour. But Yeah. We lost an hour. We lost an hour, but that's probably not because of aliens. It's yeah. probably just because of the clocks getting pushed forward, we think. We're yeah. still investigating. <laughs> <laughs> so Dwayne flashes back to the present and shakes it off, and he's visibly affected. Like, And he's like, you're making it up. And Mulder's like, isn't that what they say about you? And Mulder's like, I believe your story. And then on the earpiece, Kazan warns him not to identify with him, and Mulder basically ignores her. And then Janice kind of comes up and is like, look, Bob's going to die if we don't get him to a hospital. So Mulder convinces Dwayne to let him go, but he wants Mulder to stay in his place. And we hear Kasdan. Kasdan's like, damn it. Like she's. <laughs> and so Janice walks Bob outside and Mulder's going to stay. Yeah. I guess we, I don't know if we need to specify. I like, I like to give people visual when we're doing this. You know, I'm assuming they've watched the episode, but Janice is a man. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. His last name is Janice. Was it? I, I thought it could. I mean, it could have been his first name. I don't know. But no, he's Agent Janice. Oh, he's Agent Janice. Oh, Agent Mulder, Agent Janice. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, Agent Rich. Well, I guess is. I guess Rich could be a last name. Richie Rich. Yeah, I thought Rich was so, his last name. Yeah, I just assumed it was his first name. But, <laughs> okay, there we go. Agent Fox. <laughs> so we saw Bob going outside, and the next thing we see is that Dwayne is tying Mulder's hands behind him because he's sitting in a chair, and so he's got Mulder tied down. And then he says, "Like, let's see how good a liar you are." And Mulder says, like, I'm telling the truth that it happened to his sister. And Dwayne tells her, like, not to lie. Like, he wants honesty and he wants respect and he's tired of all the BS. And he's, like, looking and goes over, like, to Dr. Hackey because, obviously, you know, he was an institution for, like, 12 years. Well, not 12 years, but, like, I guess nine years, probably. About a decade, yeah. Yeah, because from 85, well, he may have been in there before, but definitely between 85 and 94, he was in the institution. So Mulder asks him, like, how does it happen? Like, does it happen when you're driving in your car or when you're alone in bed at night? And he's like, are you paralyzed and you feel like you can't breathe? And he's like, are the beams tall? Are, are they small? And again, Kazan's in the earpiece and is like, Mulder, you're on a dangerous path. And meanwhile, Dwayne is like physically reacting to these memories. Like he's like, 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 
like stiffening up and just like reacting as he like flashes back when Mulder's asking all these questions about like being paralyzed and feeling like he can't breathe and like the size of the aliens and Mulder keeps going and Gwen who honestly is kind of whining and annoying whispers like <laughs> he's going to kill us and Mulder kind of like looks at her and then just keeps going like shut up lady and then he tells Dwayne like you know like they take you and you're powerless right and Mulder asks like where do they take you do they take you to a ship like, are you conscious of being transported? And then again, we see Dwayne flashing back and he's lying in bed and he's surrounded by all the aliens. And then slowly he gets like tractor beamed up off the bed. And then we cut and Dwayne is talking and he's like slumped against the desk. And he's like, the aliens talk to Dwayne Barry, but they don't speak. They read minds. And Muller's like, yeah, it's like, mind scan i've heard stories of abductees reporting a type of telepathy but apparently it's called mind scan so Dwayne tells him that he doesn't want to go but they never listen and then gwen is like sitting with her head down and she's probably crying and kimberly however is like she's really paying very close attention to Dwayne talking and she's also like very nervous of like curling her fingers around her wrist like like opening and closing her hand and just like on her wrist like like an anxiety kind of like tick or something like that and then Dwayne is like, they just go right on about their business because they don't listen to him, right? And then, so then he gets up off the floor and he stands in front of Mulder and he's like, tell Dr. Hackey what their business is. And so Mulder's like, they take them aboard their ship and they perform tests. And Dwayne nods. And then he says to Mulder, they drilled my teeth. And then he turns to Dr. Hackey and he's like, they drilled holes in my damn teeth. And then we get a flash of his mouth, another flashback, and he's like laying on this big platform and he's got these giant metal things like pulling his mouth open and all the aliens are standing around him and there's this device that comes over the ceiling and then like this probe choom, 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 comes down and then it's a laser and you can see it's going in his mouth and he's just screaming and it, just, and it goes on for a long time it's kind of a brutal scene honestly yeah so yeah i uh i think i've changed my mind about wanting alien dental work aliens fix my teeth <laughs> no thanks no thanks i changed my mind i mean i mean i guess it depends on how much it would cost first anyway yeah no i've changed my mind <laughs> You, what's the copay aliens gonna <laughs> I'm like well what what's the what's the dentist gonna charge versus you but the like copay no is obviously like a recurring terror i would think yeah so. it's probably a little too high yeah also yeah. for being like all bright lights big city when they're doing abductees like the aliens themselves their ship is like hella dark inside so yeah and, the pla- and then the platform that Dwayne Barry strapped on it kind of looks like the background of like the Vitruvian man that mm-hmm. Leonardo da Vinci painting it's got like the circles and the squares and all the concentric stuff it's kind of interesting it's, it's a it's a good uh we do see the aliens not behind plastic so they look a little but I mean but it's a good scene it's it uh, is yeah it, it definitely did what it was supposed to be doing so. oh yeah it was scary and it definitely made me not want to get abducted by aliens ever. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess I got to go to the real dentist. Fine. I guess it's slightly less scary. Anyway, the scene cuts to a drill and it is like a hand drill because they're basically drilling through the wall kind of high up. Also, it has all kinds like I don't know, like what kind of like math they were doing to figure out where to draw this hole. But like much like the platform that Dwayne is on, it's got like all kinds of circles and crossing lines like that center in on where they're going to put the drill. Like they were doing some 
severe like geometry around this drill site it's, yeah like, and maybe they were checking for like studs and stuff too i don't know yeah. i also wonder if it's just maybe like a cool visual like yeah know, we're, going, we're going from drill to drill and so we get kind of like a replay of the background too but that could just be me and then scully calls the negotiation office and rich answers and then Krychek takes the call and he tells her that Mulder traded himself for one of the hostages and scully says they need to get him out now or he's going to be killed and she has Dwayne's medical records pulled up on her screen. And she says that Dwayne Barry is not what Mulder thinks he is. <gasps> Commercial. No. Yep. Yeah. And on, on, on Scully's screen, there's like a picture of like a skull. And like, it's, it's like this red dot going up and down on the skull. A little like animation on the computer screen too. It's funny. <laughs> anyway. So we come back from commercial. And we're back in the travel agency. And Dwayne asks Mulder how old his sister was when she was taken. And so Mulder tells her that she was eight. And Dwayne's like, yeah, I see kids sometimes. And so Mulder's getting locked into this now, right? Because we're talking, uh-huh. about, we're talking about Sam. And we know that's Mulder's weakness. Uh-huh. And so Mulder asked, like, what do they do to them? Because Dwayne has seen kids, right? So what do they do to them? And Dwayne's like, they do tests. They test them. And Mulder, while Dwayne's talking, Mulder looks up and he kind of sees the drill coming through the wall behind mm-hmm. Dwayne, which has got to be like the worst plan ever because they don't know which direction Dwayne is facing. And like, if he saw the drill coming through the wall, is he not going to like just start randomly, like at least shooting through that wall, if not start shooting the hostages? And it's a very not good plan. I'm sorry. But yeah well i mean it's funny it's ironic too because what they're trying to do is get a visual on the room and they don't have that yet so they're just kind of yeah and so like he could be looking right at it they don't know right it could be right in his line of sight anyway so Dwayne is still talking he says like like the aliens tell the kids not to cry and then Mulder is like do they hurt them because again Mulder is thinking about sam in this case right and Dwayne's like yeah oh yeah it hurts real bad and we get we keep getting shots of Mulder and he's just like staring blankly because we know he's imagining his sister being tortured by aliens. Right. And then Dwayne's like, it's like living with a gun to your head, but you never know when it's going to go off. And so Mulder kind of like, you know, kind of snaps out of it a little bit and it's like, you know, like, let the others go. Like, just keep me. Okay. And then Dwayne's like, they hear you talking like that. They're going to have your ass. <laughs> and he's like, I don't care what they think. Like, you know, and Dwayne's like, nah, I wouldn't do that to you, Mulder. You know, letting him go with aliens. He's like, but me and Dr. Hackey, we have an appointment. So, yeah. So now that they've got that hole drilled, they install a camera so they can get a visual inside the travel agency. And then we hear Scully's voice at the entrance and she's yelling. <laughs> I love how Scully just like walks into things and starts yelling. She does this a lot, actually. And I, I mean, I know people probably think it's not great, but like, I just, I love it. Cause she's just like, no, I'm doing what I need to do. Um, so Crycheck yeah. comes over. I know. Yeah. You probably don't love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and so Krychek tells her to calm down and she demands to talk to someone who will listen. So then Kazdin comes over and she asks what the problem is and Scully flashes her badge and she's like, I just flew in. I have information that's vital to your negotiation. And she says that Dwayne suffers from a rare state of psychosis. Yeah, she just flew in. It's like an hour trip on a flight, not counting getting to and from the airport, assuming one was even leaving right then and there to go from D.C. to Richmond. It's like a right. two hour drive, but she's like, I flew. So I'm like, okay. So I looked, I looked it up, Scully. I got the receipts. You could not get there in less than an hour. It would probably be more like an hour and a half or two hours. It's like, 
come on. And also, she was just talking with Krychek on the phone. She could have given him all the information. She doesn't have to do everything in person. Jesus. But I don't like, think she oh. trusts Krychek, which, I mean. Well, then talk to Kasdan. Like, let me talk to who's in charge, right? Right, I know. Like, she doesn't have to do everything in person. She does if she oh. wants to be in the show. <laughs> and she, like, uh, she probably transported on an alien spacecraft. She's probably a mole. I'm going to go with that. She is in the system. <laughs> Yeah, so then there's, no Scully- way she could, there's no way she could get there that fast. I'm sorry. Okay. So then Scully shows the medical records that show that Dwayne was shot through the frontal lobe and the injury basically left him incapable of functioning normally because it destroyed the moral center of his brain. Again, not sure how that leaves you incapable from functioning normally, but... No, and we don't really have a moral center of our brain. We have like impulse control and that kind of stuff, but whatever. And I I know you're going to talk about this, but she tells Mm -hmm. me about a man named Phineas Gage who a hundred years ago had a similar injury and became a pathological liar who would sometimes act out his own violent fantasies, which is completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Which you're going to talk about. And then Kazdan asked how Scully got involved in this case. And Scully's like me and Mulder used to work together, which Scully, you're still working together. (laughs) Just not, not officially, but even Skinner at this point probably knows what's going on. Um, but then Kazan says, if this is true, Dwayne has her former partner completely fooled because he's buying into this alien thing. And so Scully asks if there's a way she can reach Mulder. Yeah. 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 You want me to just take all this? And- yeah, you can just you can talk because okay. I, I got information from a source, which it turns out is not a good source. And so my information is not correct. So, yeah. So in 1848, Venice Gage, who was a 25 year old railway worker, he was using to like to build railroads and to like to get through mountains, you know, like, you know, John Henry, that kind of stuff. They would pack gunpowder in the, in the rods to blow the rocks out of the way. Right. And so you would actually put gunpowder and then you'd put sand and then you would have an iron bar and you would pack it down which is kind of dangerous. And in this particular case, they were in a hurry and they skipped the sand. And so he had an iron bar and he was packing it directly into the gunpowder and it exploded. And the rod, he actually was, he had been talking to someone at the time. And so he had inadvertently put his head in the pathway of the rod and had also opened his mouth because he was speaking. And so the rod went through his open mouth, actually knocked out, one of his teeth up through his head, completely out his head and landed like 80 meters away. Okay. He then, however, like he was obviously knocked down. Right. And there was like brain on the rod, like 80 meters away. And there was like brain protruding from his skull, his skull. Actually, it actually kind of like, because your, your skull has lots of like little fissures, you know, for expansion and that kind of stuff. And also for growth and what have you when you're younger and he's 25, right? So he's an adult, so most of that stuff, but his, his his head actually like unhinged, like the front of his skull and the back of his skull actually kind of separated. Huh. So it actually didn't do as much like structural damage as it popped. I mean, it did put a hole through his head, right? And he was left like an indentation in his head for the rest of his life. But like his skull actually like, like opened almost like a mouth at the top. And so like the front kind of detached from the back of his skull. And then like once the rod came through it, like it, it, went back together because just all like the muscle tissue would have you around his skull. So that kind of one thing, because otherwise it would have made a much, it would have done much more damage to just his skull. And so, but he then got up and like was talking. Like he apparently didn't suffer like major physical or mental impairment. And for the most part, his memories were intact. He did then have a really bad patch for about two weeks where he got like, we now would probably call sepsis um apparently because you know 1848 they weren't really good at medicine right? right apparently there was like fungal growth in his brain 
because of the exposed brain on top and they had to like cut fungus away from his brain ew, ew. and at one point like right after the accident he vomited and the pressure from vomiting also like some of his brain like expelled from his head like oh god it was oh. gross the fact that he lived just just from like infection right just not even like from the whole brain thing but just like infection wise because like around the same time we had a president who died from an infection from a bullet wound that he really shouldn't have died from because he got infected yeah president garfield and they would yeah. give pus reports to the public about how much pus was coming out. Yeah. And this was the thing too. They were like, like constantly draining pus from his brain Mm -hmm. and just, yeah. So he had like really bad fever and was unconscious for a while and delirious and all that kind of stuff. But he eventually recovered. And like, most of we hear about like the personality change, like he suddenly became like profane and irritable and like violent, like all that is discredited. That's all stuff that was reported after he died because he did live for quite a while so his real employer wasn't going to hire him back because i mean he you know he was he did have some injuries right and at first he was a little bit weak right because you just had a pole go through your head like you're (laughs) gonna have some issues right yeah and so he wasn't able to get his old job back and he was temporarily like on display at barnum's american museum in new york city um and he also probably did i think there's some flyers that so like he probably did like some self-promotional like come see phineas gage is the man you know that kind of thing because he kept the iron he actually had it inscribed with like some stuff on it like he kept it for his whole life it was actually that's the thing too like the people who did this job they would have custom rods made for them to do the job and so that was like his he had had that rod like custom made and so it was his rod so he kept it right it went through his head he kept it but he was never actually part of like a traveling show He eventually got another job and he worked for about 18 months for a stable and coach owner in New Hampshire. So remember timeline, this, the accident happened in 1848 and then he has the injury and then he works for about 18 months as a like stable hand and like, you know, coach driver. And then in 1852, so four years after the accident, he moves to Chile and he works for seven years as a long distance coach driver, like driving stagecoaches in Chile. And then his health starts to fail and he moves to San Francisco in 1859 because his family had relocated from New Hampshire to San Francisco, his mother and his sister. And then he got another job on a farm in Santa Clara. So like he was functioning, he was a functioning human being. He was able to like, you know, negotiate with people. He wasn't like this crazy kind of person, but then he started having seizures in 1860 and it made him, you know, he lost his job because he was having seizures. He couldn't do the job on the farm. And then he eventually died during a seizure on May 21st in 1860. Hmm. So he lived... 12 years, 12 years after yeah. the accident and worked for almost all that time. So there's like maybe like a year and a half that he wasn't like actually like physically working. Right. So, yeah. It's pretty good and, for having a rod through your head. Yeah. So this is where, as if you weren't, if you didn't think I already was, this is where I get on my soapbox. And because this makes me really angry because there's no reason to even bring this whole Phineas Gage into the episode. They could have totally just talked about like, you know, brain damage from a bullet wound, but they've, felt the need to do it and then they got everything wrong and to me that's inexcusable like chris carter should be ashamed of himself because like he was lazy and then he's actively providing false information to millions of people about a real person and that is wrong it's extremely irresponsible because this is an actual person who suffered a terrible accident and then lived their life and actually has living relatives even though he doesn't have an actual descendants but it's just that's messed up in my opinion you shouldn't do that so anyway yeah, I think, I mean, we talked about it a little before we started recording, but like, 
I got some information from the unofficial X-Files companion, and there were a couple other books that had the same information that do say what Scully says. So we're guessing that Chris Carter probably got that information from the same source. Like there was probably some encyclopedia entry or something about it, and that's where everyone got their information. The unofficial X-Files companion also adds that a part of the bar remained in his head for the rest of his life. Yeah. Honestly, I have never heard that anywhere. And like, I'm not like a Phineas Gage expert, but like, I have known about the case for at least I'm old for at least like 30 years. I have done research on it for like school. I have heard multiple reports. I've read stuff about it and I've never, ever heard anything about the poll. It's an iron bar. It's not going to stick in your head. Like you're not going to get a piece of it. So yeah. Yeah. And then as usual, Brian Lowry's trash because he says the Phineas Gage lived for 20 years and I'm sorry, Brian Lowry, you need to learn math because 1848, 1860 is not 20 years. So I'm done. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this was History Corner with Nick. <laughs> angry History Corner. You you know about drunk history? This is angry history. So, yeah. Okay. So then Dwayne tells Mulder that the government knows about aliens and they're even in on it sometimes. They work together. And then in a flashback, we see that Dwayne's in the same bed with like the sheeting and the house that's under renovation. And instead of aliens, he sees men in black with the flashing lights. And he says, the government knows why they're here and they won't let the truth out. And Mulder tells him, like, look, we have to resolve the situation sooner or later. Like, we can't just sit in this travel agency forever. So Mulder's like, what do you want to do? And Dwayne says he wants to go back to where it started, where the aliens first came and got him. And Scully is listening. And so she breaks in and she tells Mulder that he can't trust him. And Mulder asks Dwayne how the aliens find him. And he says they find him using implants. They put one in his sinus cavity, which we saw in the pilot, mm-hmm. um, and in his belly button. And he lifts up his shirt, and there's like a scar on his belly that's kind of a similar shape to like the one Max had behind his ear. Yeah. Also in his teeth, right? In his gums. Yeah. And Scully warns Mulder that he needs to negotiate with him. So Mulder's like, hey, why don't you let the women go? And Scully's like, good, good. Keep him talking. The hostage recovery team is moving into position. And if you can't get him to release hostages, they're going to institute a tactical plan that's going to be dangerous and not great. So Dwayne does agree to let the women go, but he says that Dr. Hackey stays. And then he just looks at the women. He's like, get out. And they both look really confused because, you know, like they're unsure. I would be unsure too. Like this guy could change his mind any second. And he's like, go, go. And so then like, as they're getting up to leave, Kimberly actually goes up to Dwayne and she says, I believe you. Like, I just want you to know I believe your story. And then, like, Gwen walks her out. And the FBI rushes over to get them after they get out of the building. So, I kind of like that Kimberly believed the alien story. Like, I thought it was it was interesting. Because, like, you know, like you said earlier, we did see her kind of watching intently and listening. And Mm -hmm. so, like, I thought it was just kind of a neat detail. Yeah, it seemed like she maybe was possibly dealing with some stuff of her own, maybe. Like, maybe something similar. Who knows? But, yeah, there was was definitely – there was – it was, like – I don't know how much of this was script and how much was theatrics and they were allowed to do like what they wanted to do. Like, you know, like if you were to just like, you know, behave as if you were in a hostage situation, but uh, she definitely seemed to be having some like um, sympathy, some vibe with, with Dwayne. So, yeah. Yeah. So then after they get the two women away, Scully tells Mulder, the recovery team is coming in and Dwayne is telling Mulder that he needs transportation and Mulder's like well, we can get you a car but we need to know where you want to go like we can't just we need to know where you're going and so Dwayne's like well the aliens will tell me the aliens will tell me and then he kind of like walks a little bit away and then a red dot appears on his neck 
And so Mulder calls him over to keep him out of the line of fire. So Mulder's like, yeah. come here. <laughs> so yeah. Mulder's not playing around with the shoot, that, which, you know, I think, I mean, I know they need to resolve the hostage situation, but I hate the whole like kill the anyway. Yeah. Doesn't seem like a great resolution. So anyway, to keep him out of the line of fire, Mulder does that. And then he asks him if he's making any of it up. And Dwayne gets really agitated. And he's like, are you calling me a liar? Are you calling me a liar? And Mulder apologizes, but he's like super worked up and he grabs Mulder by the shoulders. And he's like, I trusted you. And then Mulder's just like, oh. So then he's like, hey, uh, when you let the women leave, you left the door unlocked. You need to go lock the door, Dwayne, or other people are going to come rushing in. And so Dwayne finally lets go of Mulder and kind of heads to the door. And he, he moves slowly. He's kind of hesitant. And then a red dot appears on his chest. And he kind of looks down and sees it. But before he can do anything, the shot's fired. And then the screen goes dark and we hear people, you know, on like walkie talkies or whatever going, he's down, he's down or whatever. So, yep. And then commercial. Mm-hmm. And I know we're not done yet, uh, but I just have to really say that Steve Railsback, the actor who plays Dwayne Barry, is really, really good in this. Like yeah. when Mulder calls him over, because Mulder's like, like, Dwayne! come over here, right? Because he sees the dot on his head and not that like a heart shot is really any better, but like Mulder basically saves him from a kill shot because they're like going to get him in the neck. But he like, he like smiles, like he kind of like smiles when he goes over to Mulder and it's kind of like, like, hey, my friend wants to ask me something because he's kind of like, okay, hey, I'll go, let's, let's talk Mulder, you know? And then Mulder's like, you know, hey, you didn't believe me at first, so I have to ask you, like, are you making this up, right? And then like Dwayne goes through all these emotions like we see like sadness and then like betrayal and he goes through all these stages like just with his face and like a few stammering words before he actually gets angry with Mulder and that was like I don't know it was I I again I thought it was like super powerful like this guy is really good at what he's doing so yeah no he's a great actor all the people in this episode are really good like yeah I love he's also cast. apparently famous for playing charles manson in the 1976 miniseries which was actually just like a two-part tv movie so like one on one night one on the next night helter skelter although it apparently also aired in cinemas with like nudity and graphic violence so yeah and i know you're not really into charlie manson but no. he did also play ed gein in the film in the light of the moon in 2000 and he was also the executive producer of that movie oh nice so yeah and then there's another movie i want to talk about that he's famous for but i'm gonna stop because i've been talking a lot so look him up people <laughs> good yeah anyway So then Dwayne is on a gurney and like we kind of see his perspective for a minute and his vision's all watery and he's lifted into an ambulance. And so Mulder and Scully are there and they watch as the ambulance doors are closed. And then Scully asks Mulder if he's okay. And she tells him that he did the right thing. Like she reassures him. And Mulder says, I believe him. And Scully just says, sometimes you want to believe so badly you end up looking too hard. Yeah, I do wonder, like, the way this is shot, like, Dwayne Barry, when he's got, like, the blurry vision and the EMTs amidst all, like, the strange lights, like, they undoubtedly, like, shot that to make it kind of look like it was aliens, too, because we're getting, like, his point of view, and we see, like, these blurry heads and these lights, mm -hmm. and they're lifting him up, and he's strapped down, and his eyes are wide open. So they probably did that on purpose. Mm, and then... Uh... So why does Scully always have to say something that's like supposed to be like indirect, but then isn't like, and always tells Mulder he's wrong. Like she could have just said, like, I know you did when he says, I believed him. Like, I know you did. 
I mean, that could still imply that he was wrong, but doesn't actually invalidate what he believed because she's like, you did what you thought was right, but you always go too far, Mulder, is what basically what she said. And it's like, that's messed up. And then honestly, she doesn't even need to be in these scenes. She doesn't need to be in Richmond. She doesn't need to magically catch some supersonic flight to go to Richmond. She doesn't need to give blatantly incorrect information about fitness and gauge to millions of people on TV. Like all this information could have been given about Dwayne Barry, could have been given to Krychek, could have been given to Kasdan. Like she was literally on the phone with Krychek telling him about it. And then like Kasdan getting in Mulder's ear and telling him the hostage retrieval team is coming and that he needs to decide whether there's going to be hostage inside or not because they would be in danger when they come in. Like that would have had the same result. Like he would have been like, okay, I need to get these hostages out of here. Also, 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 whenever Kasdan is talking to him, she talks very little. She says like a sentence and lets it go because Mulder is hearing her in his ear right he can't not hear her because in his ear but he's also talking to Dwayne Barry but yet when Scaldi gets on she's just like blah 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 like Mulder's trying to talk to Dwayne Barry and Scaldi's talking in his ear it's like you're making things worse come on like I don't know okay well she has to be there because she's the (laughs) co-star but she doesn't have to be there there. because she's pregnant (laughs) so they don't want her in the scenes anyway so she doesn't have to be there she could have done everything doesn't have to be in person I'm sorry yeah i don't know i really liked that moment actually i kind of loved when you know he's like i believed him and she's like well sometimes you want to believe so badly you end up looking to i know she always says stuff like that she's always like you're so good Mulder. you just let people walk all over you like just like it's like backhanded compliments i don't know maybe it's just me maybe i'm like hypersensitive to that because i have insecurities who knows i don't know i think she just i mean she doesn't she believes Dwayne Barry is what she says he is, what she researched. And so she yeah. doesn't think it's true. And she thinks I also probably have a lot of residual anger from the whole Phineas Gage thing, which she gave out on television. You know, technically Chris Carter wrote it, but it was right. her putting it out. And she always kind of has that like air of authority when she's like spouting information. And so that made it even worse to me. But yeah, I don't know. So then we're at Jefferson Memorial Hospital in Richmond, Virginia. And Mulder's in the hallway and Kazan meets him. And she is wearing a very nice purple. I would even call it like a grape colored suit. It is very nice. I know you're a fan of like when Scully is purple overcoat, but this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Kazan looks nice. good too. She's yeah. very well dressed. Yeah. And Mulder's like, I was surprised to get your call. And she like thanks him for going out there and putting his butt on the line. Mulder smiles because he figured she was like going to chew him out. And then he asks how Dwayne is. And she says, well, we almost lost him for a little bit, but he's stabilized. Like he's in a hospital bed. He's currently unconscious and he's hooked up all these machines. They go into his room. And then she talks about like she looked up Kazan's record and he was actually like an exemplary FBI agent. But then he had an accident in 82, which is kind of a mystery because he was like on a drug stakeout in the woods. And he the headshot that he got was actually from his own weapon. And they don't know what happened. And he was just left for dead in the woods. And then she's like, and then like, then it just went like, he lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his kids, he lost his house. And Mulder is like standing over him. He's kind of like the fine thread of sanity. And then Kasdan kind of, she kind of hesitates a little bit. And then she's kind of like, she's a little bit like, mm, but she's like, I actually called you here for another reason. Um, when they were doing x-rays, the surgeons found pieces of metal in his gums in his sinus cavity and in his abdomen. And there were tiny drill holes in his molars. And the dentists say that that couldn't be done with current equipment without damaging the teeth. And she's just like, I thought maybe you'd want to know that. And then she 
goes out the door and leaves. So yeah, I really, I really heart Kasdan. I think she's awesome. I wish she were like a regular on this show because she is so good. Yeah. So then back at FBI headquarters or Quantico, Scully is holding a piece of metal in a small vial and Mulder's sitting across the desk and she says it could be a piece of shrapnel. So obviously this was taken out of Dwayne Barry and Dwayne did a tour of duty in Vietnam. So shrapnel is totally possible. And Mulder's like, it was right where he said it would be. And if it was implanted, that means Dwayne was telling the truth. And then Scully's like, yep. or some version of the truth. And so she decides she's going to take the metal to ballistics to have them look it over. And Mulder leaves. Yeah. And there's a lot of hesitation in the scene. Like, Scully obviously doesn't believe that it's nope. not anything that's not shrapnel. I mean, it's clearly, you can see, it's clearly a shaped piece of metal. You can see that it has markings on it. Like, come on. Like, this is someone who bookended season one by taking a metal probe out of a mutated corpse from the sinus cavity of a mutated corpse and then literally was holding a dead, frozen alien fetus in her hands. Like, cut the crap. Like, I bet the cigarette smoking man has a whole box full of shrapnel in his secret warehouse. And I'm sure this one's probably getting up there too, most likely. Probably. So, I don't know. I mean, Scully, <laughs> I, I get it. She's skeptical. That's her thing. She'll believe it when there's proof, you know? She's had proof. How much proof does she need? Well, she doesn't need? have proof. Like this smacking her across the face every episode with proof. Yeah, but it's a different piece of metal. It's a different person, and she oh, she knows Dwayne's history. So I don't know. I get it. I get why she doesn't believe it. So then, at FBI headquarters in Washington D.C., uh, she basically has the metal ballistics, and the agent there is like puts it under like a a thing to magnify it, and shows her like the small markings on the metal. And Scully says it looks like a stamp. And the guy's like, yeah, it's been tooled or etched in some way. And so the agent says it's kind of strange. And it's not strange. It's a barcode. (laughs) So then in the grocery store, Scully's buying groceries. And she's kind of watching the red laser scanner. And (laughs) it's very 90s in this grocery store. Like there are Kodak film canisters behind the cashier. And Scully pays with a check, which I know people can still do. But it's pretty rare. So the cashier takes the check and I guess her shift is over because she like removes her cash drawer and walks away, which is weird for me because like I've worked in grocery stores and I know like you do sometimes take your cash drawer when you go to lunch or whatever and like they, you know, they count it out at the end so that they can make sure that your drawer is balanced. But Mm -hmm. it's weird to do it when the customer is still standing right there. Yeah, because she like takes Scully's check and is like, okay, bye. Like, and just walks away. Like, Scully's still standing there at the register, hasn't even like picked up her groceries yet. So, but yeah. then again, as someone who's worked in grocery stores, sometimes you're stuck in that register like 20, 30 minutes after your shift is supposed to be over. So maybe she's just like, I'm done now. My line is finally closed. I don't care. You can stand there all night, lady. I'm, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And she, it's not like she's not polite. Like, it's not like it's bad no, customer service. It's just really it was strange. just weird. Cause she's she, smiley and just like, was yeah. like, all right, I'm out and just leaves. So then uh, Scully pulls out the metal fragment she has in her pocket and like runs it over the scanner and like they're the UPC reader and it beeps and then the register starts going wild. Like it starts, you know, a bunch of little symbols appear on the thing and it obviously like Mm -hmm. computer nonsense and it's beeping. And so the cashier comes back over and asks what happened. And Scully's like, no idea. And she leaves. It's probably, it probably pulled up the alien Wikipedia page on Dwayne Barry is what it did. Probably. Um, so yeah. I also I tried really hard to see what groceries Scully was buying because like 
in TV, I'm always fascinated. I'm always fascinated by what people buy anyway. Like, I just think it's interesting. Like, what do you eat? How do you do that? Um, and especially characters. Do I don't eat? know. I'm just unpatented <laughs> adulting. And so I'm always like, what do you buy for groceries? Uh, but I'm also just curious what they always have fictional characters buying. Because like sometimes, you know, it's a conscious decision. Someone's giving her those groceries. And it looked like there's a tub of oatmeal and a box of cereal. And then there is a jar of pickles that you see the cashier put in the bag. According to the truth is out there in a couple other X-Files references. She's buying pickles and ice cream, which was the joke from the prop department because Jillian Anderson is pregnant. And so pickles and ice cream. I actually didn't see any ice cream. And that, that tub thing that I think is oatmeal is really tall for an ice cream container. So it could be. But yeah, anyway, I, pickles and ice cream, I guess, is the official whatever. But there was definitely like a cereal box in there. Yeah, there, there is no ice cream. Um, at least on screen. And you know, I frame by frame that I actually frame by framed it like twice. I looked, I watched it a couple times too. Cause I was yeah. like, what is she buying? So the tub I think is either hot cocoa or possibly coffee. Like it has a steaming brown mug oh, okay. on the front and then it's right above the name, but it's obviously like a fake brand, right? It's something they made up. And so it's just blurry enough that I can't read what the actual name says. So I'm not sure if it's coffee or cocoa. It looks kind of like the, like the carnation instant cocoa. Tubs, okay. But then it could also be like, like a coffee, like she buys like crap coffee or something. So I don't know. Um, I need like some FBI enhanced, enhanced, enhanced action to find out. And then the box is Star Loops cereal, which I think the cereal is supposed to be like an alien face also on the cereal box. So, you know, haha, funny, funny Star Loop cereal. And then, yeah, we finally get the jar of pickles. And then like even in $1994, she couldn't have bought much more. She probably could have bought ice cream because she pays like $11.14 for right. the check. So, again, it may be the official guide to the X-Files, but it's also officially crap because he's wrong about half the stuff and the rest is all editing errors. So, I mean, maybe they did do the pickles and ice cream thing, but then, like, they edited out their own joke because they're incompetent or maybe just didn't tell the editor about the joke. And so when he was editing the scene, he was like, okay, we don't need to see all the groceries and, like, cut out the part. I don't know. The X-Files Declassified by Frank Lovese. I think that's how we're saying his name. I really cannot pronounce it um l-o-v-e-c-e um he also repeats the story about the pickles and ice cream but does acknowledge that only the pickles show on screen and then he also points out another error that brian lowry made in claiming that john s bartley received an emmy nomination for the episode when it was actually an american society cinematographer's nomination so you trash lowry sorry anyway not a fan of Brian Lowry. <laughs> Brian, Brian Lowry might be surpassing Glenn Morgan, I'm thinking. I don't know. I haven't had a lot to say about Glenn Morgan. It's lately. your season two enemy. So. Your season one was Glenn Morgan, and now it's Brian Lowry. Yeah. Thankfully, the book ends, at least my copy ends on season two. I know there's a volume two, which I don't think I have. I have the season two one. Great. Awesome. Okay. I might have to get it just so I can fact check all that stuff. Anyway, so we're back at the hospital, and Dwayne is sleeping, and then suddenly his eyes open. And there's a bright light illuminating the room. And we see the alien figures behind the curtains next to his bed. And they're doing their zombie hand thing again that they're really into, apparently. And, like, all his monitors go off the charts. They start beeping because, obviously, he's freaking out, right? Because aliens are in his hospital room. So he rips out his nasal tube. And he pulls, like, all the leads off his chest for the monitors. And he starts to go to the door. But there's a police officer outside on the phone. So Dwayne kind of looks around. And he sees there's a fire extinguisher on the wall next to the door. So then we cut and the officer is finishing his call and he turns around like toward where Dwayne would be and just gets totally wrecked with this fire extinguisher. Boom. And he falls on the floor and then the fire extinguisher falls on the floor. And then we see Dwayne running down the hallway. So, yeah. 
So then Scully calls Mulder and she leaves a message on his answering machine telling about the metal and the code and the serial number. And she tells him about the grocery store. And she says, it's almost as if someone used the metal tag to like catalog him. And then there's a noise outside. And so Scully kind of like opens the curtains or the blinds. Is it the blinds? It's the blinds, right? I think that's like vertical blinds. Yeah. yeah. So she opens the blinds and she sees Dwayne's face right outside the window. And yeah, it's all wet outside. Yeah. And so she screams and we hear glass break and like, the screen's dark, but we hear Scully yelling into Mulder's answering machine that she needs help. She sees Dwayne Barry, and then it cuts to Mulder's machine. And that's all we see the rest of the report goes to black as we just see Mulder's answering machine on his desk. And we hear the glass break. And then, like, we hear kind of like, and we think we hear like Dwayne Barry kind of like grunt or something like that. And then she's like, Mulder, I need your help. Mulder, Mulder. And it it sounds fake. It doesn't sound like she's like convincing at all. I mean, she knows she's talking to an answer machine. So why is she like, I need your help? Like you just be like, I don't know. That's like zero urgency or sense of danger in her tone. So to me, it just sounded, it sounded like a bad, like dub oh. is what it sounded like. Yeah. I, I was not. I didn't yeah. notice that. But... It was a, it was, yeah, it, this was a really good episode. This was not a great ending. Unlike blood, which was kind of a uh, episode, but had a fantastic ending. This is a really good episode. I like it a lot. It has issues, but the ending is kind of like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's not really an ending because it's. No, because it doesn't flash the end. It flashes to be continued. Right. So it's not really an ending. I do hate that Scully's getting kidnapped because like, uh, but. She's going to go have a baby. Yeah. She's the actress is pregnant. So I get it. But plot wise, I'm like, oh, of course it's Scully. Um. Also, how did Dwayne find her? I don't know. The aliens told him, I guess. We'll figure it out. Aliens. I do wonder. I, because this is, this is just me. This is my head working, right? Um, so they pulled that one out of his nose, right? That's the one that was in his sinus cavity, I think. But he obviously still has stuff like in his, I don't think they pulled everything out of him, right? That's just the one. They just have the one. So like when she scanned that, did that also activate something? Maybe. And that's why he wakes up. Maybe. So, cause you know, like in, if we, if we go all the way back to the pilot episode, right. Those things were actually kind of controlling the people. Like they were controlling yes. Billy. Yeah. Right. So could we be doing something similar? Are they finally trying to like sync up the whole alien thing and not just being like, we have this alien and we have this alien and we have this alien. Are they, are we finally getting some coherence about what the aliens are? I think are? so. Maybe. That's creepy though. Oof. Yeah. So this episode marks Chris Carter's directorial debut, as we said, and apparently Mm -hmm. David Nutter kind of helped him through it and also taught him how to block scenes. So he had some help. And David Duchovny said of Chris Carter's directing that Chris came in meticulously prepared, which is his nature. I think his first episode was great. So the cast wasn't upset about it, I guess. (laughs) Anyway, I'm still mad at Chris Carter, so I'm not going to say anything. But like I said, I do really like this episode. It also makes me very angry. Yeah. So, and then CCH Pounder, who plays Agent Kasdan, apparently got a primetime Emmy nomination for her portrayal in this episode, which is great because she rocks. She's really good. Yes, Carol Christine Hilaria Pounder is her full name. If you like her, which you probably should, because Tori is right, she was very good in this episode. She is also going to be in five episodes of Millennium. Nice. And if you really, really like her, she, in addition to a ton of other stuff, including like movies, she was in 24 episodes of ER as Dr. Angela Hicks. She's in 
89 episodes of The Shield as Claudia Wims, so she was probably like a main character. She's in 22 episodes of Warehouse 13 as Mrs. Irene Frederick. She was in 122 episodes of NCIS New Orleans as Dr. Loretta Wade. So again, a main character. Also in two episodes of just NCIS before it went to NCIS New Orleans. So, And she is also the voice of Amanda Waller in nine episodes of Justice League Unlimited, at least one of which makes me cry every time I watch it. Nice. Not from her role particularly, but that episode does make me cry. Yeah, she's really good. She was really great. I really enjoyed her. And I thought she was fun. And she yeah. has good dialogue and she's good at her job. Yep. <laughs> the show has not depicted a lot of people being great at their job. So it's nice nope. to see you know, she is. And again, a person of color and a woman. So yeah. And yep. she's she's awesome. They're, they're I do. Getting, they're getting much better about that. Cause like Janice, the EMT, the agent who's EMT, is also a person of color, male, right? And so they're they're getting they're getting way better at this. At first, at first the X Files was pretty white. <laughs> like we did have Reggie and stuff, but yeah, they're getting much better. Yeah, it's still pretty white, but the, it's it's getting better. For I mean, sure. I mean, realistically, it is pretty white, right? I mean, let's yes. be honest. So, oh yeah, the whole show is, but white and male for the most part. So yeah, but good job. Yep. At least in the all cast. right. So uh, time to rate, I guess. <laughs> oh, this, is, this one is. You always say this for me. This is going to be hard because, like I said. I really like this episode. I really like Dwayne Barry. Like just the, the character of Dwayne Barry, the actor is amazing. He's really good, yeah. And at the same time, there's some stuff in here that really makes me angry. And um, yeah, I got to find the balance. So yeah. So for me, like I really liked it. I think it's really solid. I think it's a really good alien episode, like a myth arc episode. I think Chris Carter's a good director. Like he's not... I mean, he had help on this one, and we'll see how he goes in the future, because I don't remember. But I think he's good at it. I didn't have a lot of problems with this episode. I loved Scully and Mulder in this episode. I liked all their interactions. I did like the part near the ambulance where she's like, you want to believe so badly, you end up looking too hard. Like, I like that. To do Um, a Scullyism? Of course you did. Yes. Yes, of course I did. But that's because I like them. And I like, so I know that it does get old because that's like the shtick, right? Scully can't believe. She can't believe all the time. She needs proof first. And it doesn't matter if she has proof of this previous alien thing, because to her, it's a separate thing. And to her, Dwayne Barry's a liar who is just having like a psychotic break, right? Like that's her view on this. So that's why she thinks that. I know. I also just think that like, if, like the whole point of these early episodes is like we're trying to write Scully out of because she's pregnant or Scully isn't, but Jillian Anderson is and needs to be gone right for a little bit and then is going to come back. And so like she didn't need to be in this. Like if you're trying to minimize Scully, like this would be the perfect time to minimize her because she doesn't need to be in this. She could have been on the phone. Well, you know, they still want to give her time stuff to do and I'm sure she didn't have a problem doing it. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know what the plan was, but I'm sure that part of why she's kidnapped is probably because they need to get rid of her, but they didn't need her gone yet. So they gave her some screen time. Yeah, apparently she needs to be gone for one full episode, I think, or she is going to be gone for one. I don't know if she needed to be, but she is going to be completely absent for one full episode. Yeah. I'm guessing it might be the next one. I don't know. I don't know either. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I think I'm going to give this one an eight because I feel like, so this is... This is the heart of the X-Files. I feel like the episode was really good. 
I might give Little Green Men an eight too. I might up that score a little, but I think this is. <laughs> when you say that, I just I can't think of like Ray Stands, the heart of the Ghostbusters. When you said, oh yeah, <laughs> I do love Ray Stands, and I do love the Ghostbusters <laughs> in all forms. All right, um, yeah, so I think I'm going to give it an eight because I thought it was really solid. I enjoyed it. I didn't have a lot of issues with it. Um, I do wish that we c- I could have seen Scully's grocery sweater. <laughs> that's that's fine. It's not just an, I'm just curious. I'm curious what what the prop person decides to put on the belt for a fictional character. I think it's interesting. Pickle cereal and maybe hot cocoa. coffee or hot chocolate or yeah, decaf or who knows. some kind of warm beverage. I think yes. For, yeah, yeah. I mean, I say for August, but I drink coffee in August. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, hot cocoa is mainly a winter thing, but coffee is year round. So I get it. Yeah. So here's the thing. So I, it's interesting that you went with eight because I think eight is where I want to put this. Like, this is like conduit level for me. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe even a little, maybe even like maybe nine, really. Oh, wow. Um, but I can't. Right. And so I'm going to go with a seven. Okay. That's still, still pretty good. I mean, like I said, I like, I really liked it. Like I said, I uh, eight or nine would be maybe where I would be putting this if there weren't. I mean, there are there are two. There's ma- there's one major thing that just upsets me, and that's the right. thing. And I have trouble getting around that. And then that is also linked because Scully is the one who does that on screen, so that leads to residual of me like she didn't need to be in this scene, and then her little like you just try too hard, Mother. Like <laughs> like she does that all the time to him, and it's like. Like total like passive aggressive BS, which I'm super Aww. hypersensitive to that because I grew up with that crap. Yeah, so, I don't like that crap um, either. I just don't see skull. I just I guess I just don't see it that way. And maybe because I I just have a different read on I mean I I can totally see why you do, and I'm not saying you're you're seeing it that way is not valid. It just it didn't occur to me that that's what she No, I'm super hypersensitive to that because I grew up with that crap. I also because I grew up with that crap, I also inadvertently do it to other people a lot, which is a problem, <laughs> which is why I'm really sensitive to it because I realize it is something right. that I do and I hate myself for doing it. So it's just it like really just like sets me off when I see that, whether it's mm-hmm. valid or not. So totally, totally. And I mean, I mean your reading of it is absolutely valid. It's just not something that we have angry history and therapy with Nick <laughs> in the same episode. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so I'm going to go with seven. Okay. So. And this episode is to be continued, so we will be talking about the second part next week. We will, literally, because uh, we're recording it next week. So Yes, yeah, so I actually have to get on it and watch it. Whoops. Yeah, me too. I'll I mean, I got that. a week. So, <laughs> Look, there's a lot going on in my life. <laughs> I have to spend a lot of time thinking about the X-Files, and it's, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like The X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode six. Season two. Ascension. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is still, still out there. there.
Well, since we recorded Sleepless, I was unable to sleep. I didn't go to bed till five o'clock this morning. Oh, God. And then I, I lost an hour. I don't know what happened. I got some lost time. Uh-oh. Do you think aliens? Maybe. Or you know- stupid government policies about daylight oh, yeah. savings time i was gonna say i lost an hour too maybe we got abducted but yeah i know i know i hate that i honestly like it screws yeah. me up 